As we are going through this season of Lent, we always get pretty good stories, lessons to read and worship. But today, I think we get two really good ones. These two great stories, the first, the Ten Commandments, and the second, Jesus overturning the tables in the temple, are dynamic and impactful. They're big. And those big stories connect with one another. They connect a number of big macro biblical dots for us that can impact the way that we live, the way that we choose to follow Jesus in our own lives. Now those big dots are directly about how to connect and follow God best. Those come in the version of covenants. And we've talked about covenants already. In the first week of Lent, we spoke about covenants being promises that God makes to humanity. And we know that there are multiple covenants. There is one that goes back to Abraham, where Abraham was promised to have his descendants fill the world. And then that promise is taken a step farther with Moses receiving the Ten Commandments at Sinai. So we heard in our Old Testament lesson these Ten Commandments. Now the Ten Commandments kind of loom large in many different ways, but the Ten Commandments at their core are not very detailed. I don't know when the last time is you looked at the Ten Commandments, but they're sort of directional. They're kind of like boundaries around things to do or not to do. And as humans are wont to do, people typically say, then how? Like just receiving those commandments, not enough. We need to put lots of details to those commandments. I mean, there are things that we start to ask, like how are we supposed to remember the Sabbath day? Like it's nice to remember it, but what are we really talking about? Like what do I need to actually do to check that one off? And how about, can we take things that don't belong to us, but we don't know who they belong to? Is that actually stealing? right? Or how about, could we bear false witness? Could we actually lie if we think that it's going to be good for someone? If it was going to be a kindness to someone else, does that count as lying? You see, there are all these different ways that we can turn the commandments around and begin to try and fill out the details because we would like to get things right. I mean, I think that's kind of the beginning. We would like to be most right, but we don't like things to be vague. And so we start to put all of these rules around the commandments and those rules, although perhaps meant to be helpful, begin to become the focus of our actions. And if we are not careful, the rules themselves can become most important to us rather than the thing that the rule is trying to help us to accomplish. And that is where Jesus steps in, in our gospel lesson today. Because the Jewish people, in their desire to grow closer to God every day, created an incredibly detailed set of rules. And those rules, although well-intentioned, became the focus of the Jewish leadership at the time. And then in steps Jesus. And Jesus over and over and over again says, in essence, the rules will not save you. The rules, although they could help, are not the point. What the rules point to, God, our relationship with God, that is really the point. That should be our primary desire. And so in today's gospel lesson, Jesus walks into the temple and he makes a whip of cords and he sends out all of the cattle and the sheep and then he overturns the tables. So let's pause and have a little aside. What were these people even doing in the temple? I mean, it's interesting for us to hear this and we can certainly visualize Jesus throwing tables over, but why were they there in the first place? It's about the rules. 
You see, Jewish people were expected to come to the temple, the one temple in Jerusalem, and offer sacrifices. And oftentimes, maybe once a year, maybe a few times a year, if you had a little bit more money, but Jews would come from all over, traveling days and days at a time to show up to the temple to pray and to offer a sacrifice. But if you can imagine going on a road trip where you've got to do things like walk or ride a donkey, it's not easy to bring a sheep along with you for a couple weeks in order to sacrifice at the temple. And so the very first 7-Eleven was established at the temple in Jerusalem (laughs) for the convenience of the people who showed up for worship. So what would actually happen is people may travel for weeks at a time and they would show up to the temple and they want to actually sacrifice and offer what they're supposed to offer, but they didn't bring the sheep with them. But there were people there in Jerusalem who would happily sell them a sheep. And then they would buy that sheep or that dove or whatever. And then they would offer that at the temple and they would fulfill their sacrifice. Now there's nothing inherently wrong with that except the economy around the sacrifices at the one temple became the point of people's lives. And it's like they forgot the point of the sacrifice. And that is giving ourselves over to God. That is giving and sacrificing ourselves to God. God did not need someone to kill a sheep. That was not the point. The point was that the sheep represented something that was deeply valuable to the people. And by giving something deeply valuable to God, we were deepening our relationship with God. And into that moment, Jesus steps in and says, you have made my father's house a marketplace. That is not the point. The point is that you give of yourself to God. God doesn't want your stuff. God wants you. We are human. And so we often have to access that generosity through stuff because stuff matters to us more than it should, but God ultimately wants us. Now, when we connect all those dots, I hope that then we begin to ask ourselves, then what does that look like for us? So today, how do we actually relate to God more deeply? How do we commit ourselves to God more deeply? There are easy ways that we can lose sight of the purpose that the rules help for us to lead. We are messy people. And when left to our own devices, we will kind of fall off the rails for sure. And as I was thinking through the habits that help us to be the kind of people we want to be, I could not help but think about people who are in recovery. The whole recovery process is this beautiful way to embrace the person you really want to be. In seminary, we often study the 12-step process because there isn't much better to try and help change habits than the 12 steps. If we remember, what is the first of the 12 steps? The first of the 12 steps is to know, to admit that we are not in control. That is a powerful first step moment for us. I remember as a priest, a young priest, I worked with another priest who was far more experienced than me, and she had been in recovery at that time for 29 years. And in a conversation with her one day, I said, at some point, aren't you recovered? And she looked at me and she said, no. She said, I understand that every day I have to choose to be the person I wish to be. And so I am always in recovery. And when I think of that kind of intentionality 
and care and concern and commitment to those habits, I wish that we as disciples of Jesus had that kind of commitment every day. We are in a sense in that kind of recovery, recovering from whatever kind of messy person that we are, whatever kind of mess the world pulls us into, and we are moving toward God every day, and we're never actually done with that process. And every day we can wake up and say once again, that we commit ourselves to God, that we commit ourselves as disciples of Jesus. Those habits are what ultimately feeds us. Being able to acknowledge the things that we do in our life that do not feed us in order to pick up the things that do feed us, man, that, that is how we actually change our lives over time. The habits of Christianity, what we might put under the umbrella of religion, Those habits are meant to help us grow closer to God day by day. Now, those habits of Christianity, they can be a little opaque. They can be a little difficult for us when we haven't had the training to do that. I mean, I think of myself. Early on, I was not an overtly spiritual person. I did not do things like pray every day, but I wanted to. And so finally, one day, I just decided to try. And in a sense, I kind of decided I would fake it till I make it. Because ultimately, I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that that was going to be a good move for me. And so in a broad sense, I think that Lent is an opportunity for us to accept the opportunity to fake it till we make it as disciples of Jesus. Because every one of us, in a very real way, every one of us wishes to have better habits that draw us closer to God, that help us become the people God made us to be. But those habits of Christianity can seem very difficult and intimidating because we don't think we know how to do them well. And the secret is we don't, but we can try. And if we try, and we keep trying, and we keep trying, then one day we will actually find that we do know what we're doing, that it has shaped us, it has changed us, that we have become the person that we had hoped to become. What we do here in church is provide direction and encouragement and support for all of us to fake it till we make it. That's the best that we can do for one another because God calls us not to be perfect, but to try. We are called to try. So don't stress about doing things as well as you wish you could. Let that go. That is a worldly thing. Instead, allow God to embrace the imperfection. Allow God to embrace the mess that we truly are because the truth is that Jesus is pretty great. I mean, I think we can probably all agree. And Jesus is asking for us to try, to try to pray every day, to try to love every person every day, to try to be generous every day, because it is in the trying that we are changed. Loving can be just like this too. There are so many people that are hard to love, but if you fake the love for a minute, then you might actually find that over time, you do love that person. 
That's the core of what it means to be a disciple. And that's the opportunity we have in a season like this. God does not keep score about which rules we follow and which rules we don't. So neither should we. Allow them to push you. Allow those boundaries and that direction and that encouragement to mold and shape and guide you toward the God who loves you just as you are and loves you enough not to leave you just as you are. You are not alone in this journey. The invitation is for every one of us and we all need each other to help support and encourage along the way. Because so long as we try, we will be transformed. And in that transformation, we will see God truly. Amen.